Tea Time with Phil Tautolangi. Part two of Tea Time. It's 29 minutes away from three o'clock and there will be some Kiwi company for Ryan Fox on the European Tour in 2018. Josh Geary confirming his spot after a six-round qualification uh, tournament in Spain. Josh secured his playing card for the European Tour after shooting six under 65 uh, in the last round. Uh, we caught up with Josh a little bit earlier to talk about how big a deal this is for him and his golfing career. It's huge. I mean, first time on a pretty much you know, one of the main tours of the world. Um, just just huge. Just go from sort of scraping by to um, all of a sudden being on a decent tour, making a decent wage and, and a chance to really sort of um, fulfill my sort of lifelong, I guess, dream. And you had to do it in dramatic fashion. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't um, the way I planned, but it was, um, it was a tough week. It was uh, early on, it was really windy and really cold, and it sort of just sort of staying uh, around par was kind of hard enough in itself, and then the sort of weather got a bit better, and the game sort of came right and, and just played great, so it was good timing. I think we talked about it last week, Daniel, that even the thought of Hughes scored, and I played in too many of them throughout my days, gives you the kind of chills as it is, let alone the weather conditions. It's, I mean, it's a marathon, isn't it, over six days? It really is. I mean, like we had basically three weeks in Spain, I had second stage as well, um, which the weekend turned to custard. The weather was just cold and windy, and so that... That, that three weeks there was just about as long as you could sort of almost handle. I mean, that's six six rounds in a row, um, and that much pressure, that much sort of the weather conditions. It was just, yeah, not not a great place to be, but a nice place to escape from. And you saved saved your best for the last two rounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, I played great at second stage, but couldn't uh, get much in the hole. But um, yeah, I just I did. I guess I sort of when it really sort of mattered, I, I sort of stepped up, and that was um, very very satisfying. Yeah. I think 64, it is 65, Daniel, the last couple of days. You usually shoot 64, 65 on the weekend as well. Oh, but the front nine? Yeah. Yeah, the front nine. <laughs> that's the first nine and <laughs> the second nine. That's when I give up and go to the 19th. <laughs> exactly. uh, but but w- were you conscious of how close you were? Uh, because what it, it seemed as late as, what, the 14th, 15th, you were still outside of the yeah. qualification I mean, mark. Were you the, aware of that? Yeah, the scoreboard was up the top five guys plus the cut number. Um and I sort of, it was a really good day, and I thought the cut would move probably at least three shots the way it was tracking, uh, maybe even four with the, everyone kind of steps up and plays well when they have to. So, and after about three or four holes, it already moved two shots, and I was like, yeah, I might get a 15 here, so I've got to be shooting at least four under. Um, and yeah, on three holes to go, I was, I thought on the number. Um, and it was, yeah, it was all on then, I guess. I made a couple of good putts, which, which helped me out, but at the time, um, it was a lot closer than what it finished uh, like. And Daniel, there are, there are guys that are scoreboard watchers and not scoreboard watchers. Josh, <laughs> are you a scoreboard watcher that wants to know exactly what the equation is to get the job done in normal tournament play? Um, I've done both. I don't, I don't mind either, to be honest. I've, I have tried both, one not looking, one looking. Um, as long as my caddy sort of knew what was going on, I was sort of, yeah, I, I kind of knew what it was going to be. I was like, 15's a number for me, it's what I need to get to. I don't want to have to be in the last hole making birdie or eagle, so I wanted to try and get clear of it. Yeah, but and you did, that, right? You made eagle yeah. on the on the last hole, you rock star. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a short par five the last day. No wind, it was only driver six iron, but um, I didn't want to have to do it uh, <laughs> under too much more pressure, so it would have been nice to have the luxury of what I did, which was, which was good, yeah. And, and just let's reel it back a little bit, because you've had um, a 10-year professional career now. Uh, you've had stints of playing in the States and Canada, most recently up in Asia. This the first go round, however, with getting your European tour card. Why the change in continents and, and and tours to try and re-energize your career? Age thirty three now, 
going to the European tour? Why why heading in that direction? Um, well, just now of access, the, you can't even access the main tour in, in um, the states without going through web.com, um, and they're making that tour very hard now. As you know, the money's gotten worse, the travel's harder, it's more expensive. They don't want guys out there making money, so they want guys from college up and in and out um, as fast as you can. So you really can't even make a living out there. Um, there's too much competition, not enough money. So yeah, that stage of my life where it's like, well, right, you know, the dream's kind of on hold for now in terms of the US. Um, got to make some money, got to make some ranking points, get up there, maybe backdoor it, kind of like Foxy has, um, mm. and guys in the past sort of follow his sort of, now with a lot more events in Europe and bigger events, um, it's very lucrative. Okay, what's the sensation like then knowing that the card is there? What, once it's done, do you, do you run out and buy the most expensive polished champers? What, what, what do you do <laughs> knowing that you had it secured? <laughs> Uh, not quite, because um, no one pays you right off the bat. So. Okay. St- you're still <laughs> on the Bernardino, are you? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> on the cheap stuff still. But um, yeah, it was quite emotional, actually. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, had a good mate of mine, Brad Heaven, on the bag. And um, yeah, when we finished, it was, it was weird. It was sort of a celebra- you know, celebratory slash just all the hard work. We sort of known, got into it in 10 years and this and that, and just knowing how hard it is to get out there um, and getting harder by the year. Um, and so it was just, yeah, it was a pretty awesome feeling. And I still haven't really let it sink, sink in yet. I mean, I sort of flew straight home and... I guess I won't really sink in until I play no. um, the first few events. Yeah, you've only been home just over 24 hours or so, and, you know, this isn't the end of the season. This is kind of the start of the season, right? Yeah, it's been a long year for me already. I was away for the last seven or eight weeks, so um, it's really just sort of, yeah, ramping up again, which is good. So I've got some events coming up before Christmas and then a little break before uh, it starts up again in January. Daniel, the, the guys that run the main tours around the world, they, they can't afford to take a week off. They actually start 2018 when it's still 2017. Of course, we're just finishing. Well, we up discussed with the... that with the PGA. It was like nine minutes they had off. Yeah, it's crazy. The off season is really just a pause, enough to kind of maybe go to the bathroom and kind of change the undies and move straight back onto the new season. When you talk about that, Josh, and, and the fatigue of, of most probably playing the whole season, having some success up in, in China in, in August, um, continuing to kind of work your way towards this Q school, you finally get over the hump, and now you've got to basically flick the switch and get straight back into it. You've got tournaments in South Africa here before Christmas and after Christmas to kind of get the season started. Have you even had a time to even contemplate what the goals might be for this first season? I really haven't because, like, as of yeah, last week, the plans are kind of back to China, Aussie and whatnot, so the plans have fully changed. Um, so I've got to sit down, yeah, probably at Christmas time, a couple of weeks off, and reevaluate what I want to do and how I'm going to do it and what events I'm going to play and where I'm going to play and have my rest and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's all kind of hasn't been figured out yet. Exempt on three tours, Australia, in China, and now in Europe as well? Yeah, yeah. There's actually two, two tours in China now, so probably both those, Europe and, and um, Aussie. But I'd love to keep playing Aussie, um, keep my status there, and obviously focus on Europe. Um, that's the, the next goal. You must be so organised or have to be so organised. Visas, passports... Uh, does that come naturally to you? Oh, How not, does that, that no. sort of stuff work? You know, behind the scenes, what the most golf fans probably don't think a lot about. Oh, it's a nightmare. I've just actually been in the visa office the last couple of hours trying to get my visa for um, South Africa. So, yeah, that's niggly. I might even miss the Aussie Open because of it. So I'll be sitting here waiting for my visa to come back this week, and hopefully it's before Thursday so I can go and tee up in, in Aussie this week. But probably less than 50-50 chance. So I might have the week off this week and then get back into it. But now organisation does not come naturally to me. I've got a couple of friends helping me out. My girlfriend helps me out now and then, but I've gotten better, but um, <laughs> I'm usually pretty awful, that sort of stuff. Yeah, not everyone is quite on the um, the Jordan Spieth or Dustin Johnson tour where they've got you know a whole staff of helpers, more than they even have family members 
able to line things up. They've got for a couple them. of bucks though, Phil, haven't they? Yeah, they've got they've a couple got a, of bucks these days. They've got a guy that actually fuels up the jet, that flies the jet, that serves the um, that Bernardino on the jet, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, but you never know; that could be in Josh's future here because I'm sure you would have taken heart from Foxy and his season, his rookie season on the European Tour this 2017 calendar year, all of a sudden, and, and you displayed it here over the weekend, he's mixing it with some of the biggest names in the game, and that could be you in just a couple of months' time. Yeah, exactly. It's been great seeing what he's done um, in such a short space of time with those Rolex events. He just you know, turned it on, played great, um, which is obviously a good play. He would have done no matter what, but... Um, yeah, just those new events with the bigger money, more ranking points, and just more more entries into the big events in the states, even which he did the PGA, got through the, one of the majors there. So, yeah, that's been a big sort of inspiration. That's that was really a sort of eye before Europe for me. Um, the fact of going back to Web.com, Q School was sort of didn't really appeal to me versus that. So that was a big reason why I went up to Europe. Um, just watching what could be done. Um, yeah, so it was sort of a no-brainer um, this year. Why now though? Why why is it taking you ten years to get on? One of the main tours. You, for early in your professional career, had you know close runs at winning the New Zealand Open, New Zealand PGA Championship. You had some success on the Web.com tour early in your professional career, but didn't quite get over the hump. How come it's taken ten years? Um, for one, it's it's very hard, but um, not yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's competitive. Yeah, but, okay. um, I guess my game's never really suited. I guess the qualifying kind of format. I'm really sort of hot and cold. Um, my hot's really hot, and the cold's kind of not good enough to be week in, week out, which is, for a Q school, you need to be consistent because you mm. really, the chance of you playing well for those four weeks every, every year or any year um, is kind of slim. So, I mean, you need to be just better. Um, so I've done some technique change the last couple of years. It's really helped me a lot to be more consistent um, and no better than the last probably six months. I've played best golf of my life comfortably um, and more consistently uh, day in, day out. So this year I felt ready for the Q school um, and it really showed. I was, it was really solid. Teddy Green the whole way through. So... That was why big difference for me is T.D. Green more consistent um, than previous years. But but as you seek consistency, is that just across the full game, the the full you know, three hundred and sixty degree perspective of your game, or are these certain parts of it that were letting you down in that hunt to be consistent? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my whole game's been, I guess, the rest of it's been really really good my whole career. But um, my ball striking consistency was very was very yeah it was low. It was sort of all over the show. It was good when it was good, and it was bad when it was bad. Um, and it would only really come right, you know, four or five times a year. So I was relying on sort of um, too much hands, I guess, not enough body in the action. So it was very sort of, um, yeah, it was always sort of there or thereabouts, but never quite, yeah, consistent. So, I mean, I've really made some changes this year. It's taken me quite a while. It's almost two years now. But, um, yeah, big difference in the, in the uh, strike and the flight. And so with, with having a little look at what Foxy's done over this um, past 12 months or so and, and looking at successful Challenge Tour campaigns before that, your game and the European tour, well suited to different, I mean, you play on a whole heap of different continents. You play a lot in Asia as well. There's, they have a number of tournaments uh, up in that region. You played well there this past uh, couple of seasons up in that area. Have you played much in Europe on link-style courses or maybe in courses where we come from New Zealand, so the weather's not so <laughs> flash here? Yeah. So how do you feel like um, your game's going to be suited to that tour? Um I think that tour is, oh, you need more skills. I mean, you can sort of see it in the guys from Europe coming to the you know, US. Their um, games, they've got everything. Like with the game, they've got, yeah, it's just a different game than the US. But I think I'll be, be fine. Um, I don't like playing in sort of cold, wet conditions, but like I said, different countries will be hot and, you know, moist. There'll be all sorts of different um, conditions. I think at some point there'll be definitely a lot of courses that will suit me. So um, 
and my game's more rounded now too. It's sort of it was one dimensional back in the day, and now it's got a lot more to it. Um, from playing different countries, you know, conditions back home, being windy. So, yeah, I think I'll be fine. Last one from me. When you look at the elites, you look, say, the, the top 10 uh, in the world. What, what do you identify as a, a core skill set that they have? Are, are there certain traits that the modern golfer has that you are out to copy? Um, not so much copy, but, yeah, I know what you're saying. I think these days um, strength and, and length is kind of, especially in America, has kind of taken over um, the way the courses are set up. We're demanding off the tee, just lengthwise, pretty much. So the guys in the top ten, bar maybe one or two of them, are, are quite strong hitters. They hit the ball a long way, um, and that's something you can sort of work towards. But it's one of those things you either got speed or you haven't. You can sort of work with what you got, but you can't really just go from a long distance to a sprinter overnight. So I've worked hard on that too myself, and I've got enough length to keep up with those guys within reason. Not Dustin Johnsons and those sort of guys, but uh, above tour average at least. So that's um, that's not a worry for me. But just yeah, I mean they just great athletes these days um, and they're just consistent they've just got good coaching good technology access to sports science stuff that we probably can't just from the sheer funding of it and if we talk to you in 12 months time um, what would be a, a good next 12 months a first year on the European tour I mean I know you had just mentioned that you haven't had much of a chance to consider what your goals might be for the season but what would be a solid year, a good year, a successful year for you this coming year? Um, first year out, I mean, I'd love to obviously keep my card for one. But, um, you know, the way I've been playing of late, it's a win's not out of the question. Maybe a smaller event, maybe an off sort of week where the big boys aren't there. Just be nice to go close or even win one of those. Um, that's really why everyone's out there. So I'm kind of hoping to win something. Three victories around the world uh, throughout his career, Daniel, and pretty impressive stuff in the last couple of days of this, uh, this Q school as well. Not afraid of going low is Josh Geary. So, um, you know, we may well have, you know, both Foxy and Geary in the uh, winner's circle over the next 12 months. Hey, thanks for joining us on Radio Sport. We wish you all the success wherever you may be over Christmas and New Year and, of course, for 2018. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That's Josh Geary, who we caught up with a little bit earlier, and he will be on the European Tour next year. Congratulations to him after securing his playing card over six rounds in Spain at the qualifying school.